Uh, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to gather and the freedom we have in this country to do so. And Lord, we thank you for calling us to yourself and putting it in our heart to want to worship you, to want to know you, to want to serve you. And now as we come to your word, we ask that you speak to us through your word. Feed our souls, strengthen our faith, make us more like Christ. So come now and bless. Bless your word, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Please open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. New Testament epistle of Ephesians, chapter 1. And it is our greatest privilege on this earth, really, to, to have the Word of God, to then study the Word of God, the Word of the living God, to hear from Him. Our great need is to hear from Him. And so we shall, as we read Ephesians 1, 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus, and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, as we come to Paul's salutation to the Ephesian church, we've already examined closely who Paul is, and we've seen his conversion, how it is he came to be not only saved, but we also noticed and uh, looked at the scriptures to see how he came to be an apostle, a true apostle of Jesus Christ. And this we did because it is important for us to see with what authority Paul writes, why we should listen to him, why we should trust what he says. As we know that the, 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 what we're saying in trusting a called apostle is to trust the scriptures. And as we said before, to disregard the apostle Paul, or Peter for that matter, any apostle that wrote Scripture, to disregard an apostle is to disregard Jesus Christ himself who sent him. You cannot pit what Paul wrote against Jesus Christ and say it's contrary. That is a fallacy, that's a lie, that's the liberal attempt to get away from what Paul calls the church to do. Okay? Paul only speaks what his Lord had him speak. And right. So we can trust him. He is a called apostle. Today, we will come to see to whom does Jesus write in this epistle? And at first glance, you're going to say, wow, ho-hum. Yes, I, I, I've read this many times. There's no real significance here. This is a common salutation of the apostles in these other epistles. He opens very similar to this. So we just read it through and we give no real thought but I believe we should be more careful. And one thing you'll learn from me if, if we hang out together until the rapture, whenever that is, is I'll tell you right now, you read your Bible too fast. You read it too fast, right? And we gloss over and we read over, not giving thoughts to the phrase, to the saints who are at Ephesus, who are faithful in Christ Jesus, right? As we analyze and understand what Paul is saying here about his readers, we will be stunned again by God's grace. Because is Paul, is he just choosing words that sound good here to call them saints faithful in Christ? Is he just filling space on a piece of papyrus? Right? Um, not hardly. These descriptions of these people are crucial. These are particular people in a particular place and time. Therefore, what Paul is writing here is to them. First and foremost, it is to them. But does it apply to those who would come after them, even centuries after them, in, in regions other than Ephesus, other than modern Turkey? If it does apply, how is that so? How does this letter apply to us here? Well, Paul's description of them must apply to us. Is it true of us? Notice again in verse 1 there, the second half, to whom does Paul write? He calls them saints who are at Ephesus, who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, 
First, I want to just pick on Ephesus here just for a minute. You will notice if you have columns in your Bible that tell you that there are earlier manuscripts that do not include Ephesus, which is telling you of the scriptures, the manuscripts that they had found. There are, there are those that they have found afterwards that are dated earlier than the ones that support this that don't include in Ephesus. So then that started people to thinking, oh, perhaps then this is a circular letter started in one city and went around a mail route, so to speak, like the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Um, so it wasn't specifically to Ephesus, but it was uh, to all those seven churches. That's an idea. What we're going to conclude here is that it's to Ephesus. Okay? And if it wasn't, it certainly puts them first because they were the foremost church in that region. So if it wasn't to them exactly, it is to them, it does include them. And you would not be speaking heresy if you said, if you accepted what the text says that it is to Ephesus. Okay, I just want to get that out of the way. You can read on that and you can argue with me later, but um, I'll go with Ephesus since it's in my text here. So then. Saints who are in Ephesus, who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, since there is so much confusion over this today, over the many centuries, and maybe not with us, but certainly those that we know, those that we love, it is important to take time to see this. And in so doing, we, want, we will be blessed to see afresh the amazing grace of God. So the question before us is here. Are you and I a saint? Can we say this epistle then applies to us? To answer that, we must answer the question, what is a saint? We've looked at what an apostle is. What is a saint? So we will go forth today with this simple process. We'll define the term. We'll see how it's used throughout the New Testament particularly. We'll see how and when does one become a saint. And then the so what of that. What, what, how does this apply after we examine all of this? So to begin with, the word saint comes from the Greek term hagios. Okay? That, and there's different translations, there's different usages, different terms that relate to this one Greek term. Your Bible sometimes uses holy. It'll use holiness. It'll use sanctification. It'll use sanctified. It'll use sanctuary. It'll use saint all goes back to this one root word that is hagios, which is translated holy. Okay? It's used of God. God is holy. It's used of people. It's used of places. It's used of things. It's used of festivals. God is holy. The Son of God is the Holy One of God. The Spirit of God is the Holy Spirit. The temple that is in Jerusalem in the Old Testament is called the Holy Temple. Within the holy temple, there's the holy place. And behind the veil is the holy of holies. There's, Jerusalem was the holy city. Moses in Exodus 3 he was told to take off his shoes because he is on holy ground, because God was present. The apostles and prophets are called holy. The angels that didn't fall are called holy. The days of festivals in the Old Testament are holy days, holidays. And the utensils used in the sacrifices were called holy. Okay, So it's used throughout Scripture. It's used of many different things. Literally, it means to be set apart from one use unto another. In other words, it means to divide off as to separate from, to make a distinction, or to be unique. This is the idea of holy. So then, a holy place, follow this, is uniquely God's. The holy temple, as we said in the Old Testament, is a place set apart from all other usages. They didn't have bazaars there. And remember when they did? Jesus whipped them out of there. Why did he do that? Because it's holy unto God. Okay? It's to be dedicated to God's use only, uniquely. The utensils used in the animal sacrifices at the temple, that forks and shovels and all those kinds of things, in the worship of Yahweh, they are called holy things, holy utensils. Therefore, what does that mean? They are set aside from common use. You weren't to go use the shovel and cleaning the ashes of the altar, then to go out and dig a ditch. 
You weren't to do that. That shovel was set aside for spiritual use, for God's use, uniquely alone. Okay, that's why it's called holy. You weren't. It was separated from normal, everyday, common use, dedicated to the worship of God, uniquely used in that fashion, never to be used in a common fashion again, because they are holy unto the Lord. Okay, the word saint. And in the middle column or the bottom of your Bible, you might have a little number that tells you literally, holy ones. Okay? Holy ones. So a saint is a holy one. Based on the definition we were just going through, one set apart from the common use, now dedicated for God's use. Uniquely God's. His possession for His purposes. Okay? Now when the world, think about this, outside the church thinks of a saint, they think of someone who's morally pure, right? They think of someone who is, never does anything wrong, or at least they think that according to them, right? A person who doesn't drink or smoke or chew or go with girls that do, you know, those kind of guys. <laughs> he's holy, right? He's a saint. He does nothing but good things, you know, he's just a saint. Now that view probably came from the Catholic Church, I'm going to pick on them in a minute because they are due to be picked on because of the confusion they bring, okay? And I don't want us to have any of that confusion of what is a saint. To the Catholic, a saint is a special class of Christian, extremely pious. To them, a holy person, one who does not sin. They say, quote, a shining example of holiness and goodness. I got this from their website, by the way. It goes on to say, through special acts of devotion and sacrifice or even martyrdom, a person can be declared by the church magisterium a saint after death, worthy of veneration even to be prayed to. Catholicism would say a saint, quote, is a soul enjoying the beatific vision. The beatific vision is to see God in heaven who lived or died in such holiness that upon their death they either, one, entered directly into God's presence in heaven. So to them, a saint lived so well that when that person died, they went directly to God's presence in heaven. Isn't that what happens to us? Just saying. Second, or a saint is one duly purified who purified their soul of every imperfection in purgatory, not by the blood of Christ, before advancing into his presence. Okay, That's all quoted from their website. These saints, whom they call saints, these super worthy individuals who did certain worthy things, they are worthy of veneration, venerating the saints, they would say. Days dedicated to their remembrance and worship. They're St. Patrick. Right? He was a good guy, but he's not to be worshipped. Right? St. Christopher, there's little coins and things that they use to bring them good luck or something. I'm not sure. But you get the point. These are so-called individuals who live such wonderful lives that when they went to heaven, they went directly to God's presence and they should be venerated, almost worshipped, and we even should pray to them. The saints, they go on, are so special that even... We are to pray to them, and they gave a, an example of a prayer that you and I could pray to one of the saints. Quote, Gather our prayers to yourself and intercede in heaven on our behalf. May our holy desires be accomplished through that chorus of prayers you constantly present to the Father, surrounded by all His angels in heaven. Unquote. Now, certainly you should have lots of problems with that. I'll just mention, that just because it's not my point to do this, but this, I can't let it alone, right? Shouldn't we pray to God alone? Uh, Hebrews 4 tells me I have full access to the throne of grace. New Testament tells me there's only one mediator between God and man, and it ain't St. Christopher, right? Ain't Mary either, we, and we're not even going to pick on her. But we have full access to God through Jesus Christ. Okay. Oh, by the way, if my carcass 
and my heart quits beating right now, just so you know, right? Before my carcass hits the ground, my spirit will be in the presence of Jesus. So don't worry about that. And I'm not even uh, uh, a real holy guy, right? Okay, you can see where we're going with this, right? So what is a saint then? By definition, is a saint some kind of Christian all-star? Is a saint an upper class of Christians? If that is true, hold this please, if you think that, then this Paul's epistle to the Ephesians is not for you. How about that? It's not for you and it's not for me. If that's what you hold, this is super all-star Christian, super upper class Christians, that's what a saint is, then this is not for you because you're like me. You're not an all-star. Right? I mean, I love you and I like hanging out with you, but you're not an all-star. Christ is, right? But you and I, we're like 1 Corinthians. Look around you. Not many noble, not many wise. Right? <laughs> and I hope that doesn't offend you, but then again, maybe I th- if it does, I hope it does. <laughs> right? Um... So then, who and what is a saint? Every true believer in God, and I say that because it includes both Old Testament saints and New Testament saints, but then we're going to come to New Testament precisely. Every true believer in Jesus Christ, every follower of Christ, every disciple of Christ, every born-again person, every child of God, every genuine Christian is a saint is a saint. That drives my Catholic friends crazy. They call me arrogant when I say that. I really don't care what they think, but it's funny that they respond that way. But look, I can see why they would respond that way. right? Because to them, it's an all-star Christian. Every believer, then, get this, is set apart from the world and set apart unto God, a holy one. No matter one's level of spiritual maturity, no, no matter one's spiritual giftedness, no matter one's service, no, no matter one's faithfulness to serve, no, whether you are just converted or have been walking with Jesus for many, many years, no matter your personal holiness, every true believer is presently and permanently a saint. Okay? Therefore, this speaks to our position in Christ and not our personal practice. Our position and not our piety. This position of saint has nothing to do with our lifestyle. But everything to do with His grace. You didn't do anything that ended up, okay, hermana, you are now a saint. You live so well, I now see you are a saint, right? Nobody did that. And since nobody did that, no one's going to become a saint and then say, oh, you forfeited, man, you're out of there, right? You are a saint the moment you were converted to Jesus Christ, okay? At that moment, okay. Now, I'm not saying that true believers, our lives are not changed and transformed. I'm not saying that. But that's not what is the basis of your sainthood. You have a new nature. You are a new creature in Christ. But what I am saying here, that has nothing to do with being declared a saint. Okay? Your status of sainthood is not affected positively by deeds of righteousness any more than it is negatively by deeds of sin. Okay? Your status of saint is not affected positively by deeds of righteousness nor negatively by deeds of sin because this position is not earned nor is it lost. It is a gift of sovereign grace. That should just make you nine foot tall and bulletproof and filled with gratitude and praise. Now let's look at some passages to see if what I'm saying is true. <laughs> you might be saying, that sounds good, but I think you're out to lunch, preacher. Well, let's see. Go to, I have all kinds of verses. I'm going to go as far and wide as I can until I run out of air or they get too loud or we run out of time. Okay? Acts 9, please. Acts 9. I, I think by the time we're done here, if you haven't, you will be very greatly encouraged by the fact that to God you are a saint, a holy one, and what that means, right? Acts 9, verse 
13. This is the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, the Apostle Paul. Ananias was told by the Lord to go to the house on the street straight there, and you'll find a man praying there. Verse 13, Ananias knows who this Saul is. He says, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. Okay, your saints at Jerusalem. We know from previous chapters, chapter 8, he went house to house arresting men, women, and children. Those are all included in saints, okay? Saints in Jerusalem. Okay, look at 26 of Acts. Like I said, we're going to get a lot of dust out of our... New Testament. Acts 26, verse 10 says it like this. Verse 9 and 10, Paul's testifying, So then I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Paul testifying, verse 10, And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. And not only did I look up many of the saints in prisons, having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them, such as Stephen. But notice saints is mentioned there, okay? Look at Romans, please, to the right of this book. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And again, what I'm trying to show you is how easily and how broadly Paul uses this term or how the New Testament uses this term, okay? It's not for super class, upper class Christians. It's for Christians. It's interchangeable. Romans 1, 6 and 7. Romans 1, 6 and 7. Among whom, verse 6, chapter 1, you also are the call of Jesus Christ, verse 7, to all who are beloved of God in Rome called saints. Okay? Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the context there, this is, this, he's writing to the believers in Rome who are the called of Jesus Christ and who are called saints, okay? called holy ones. Now, go to 2 Corinthians, to the right of Romans, to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, please. Just to show you again, as you're turning to 2 Corinthians 1, this is kind of repeated in Philippians 1 and Colossians 1. But look at how he writes here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, exactly what he says in Ephesians. And Timothy, our brother, in the rest of verse 1, he says, To the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the holy ones who are throughout Achaia. Okay? The saints who are throughout Achaia. Philippian, it's t- Philippians begins with the saints in Philippi. Colossians talks about the saints in Colossae, Laodicea, Hierapolis. Uh, there's a valley there. Okay, So there's either a lot of superstar Christians running around in the first century, <laughs> um, or this is just a common identification for Christians. Okay? All right. Go to Ephesians, back to Ephesians chapter 4. Please, Ephesians chapter 4. And you, remember now, if saints are all-star Christians, what are you going to, here you go in verse 11 and 12 of chapter 4, ministry, verse 11, he gave, that's Christ, some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastor-teachers, For what purpose, verse 12, for the equipping of the all-stars? No, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. The body consists of saints, okay? Holy ones, those set apart from the world, set apart unto God, okay? Go to Romans 8, please. Romans 8. The Holy Spirit is praying in Romans 8, 26 and 27. Romans 8, 26 says it like this, In the same way the Spirit also helps our weakness, Paul writing, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. 27, and he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for who? The saints, according to the will of God. The saints are the ones in 28 
whom all God works all things together for good, those who love him. And then you get in 2930 in the, the chain of redemption there. The saints is, again, interchangeable for believers, for disciples, Christians, born-again people. They are saints. Okay? They are set apart unto, from the world unto God. Okay, now, every believer then is a saint. No matter their level of spiritual maturity or holiness, as we said, personal holiness. And this we can see most clearly in 1 Corinthians 6. Please go to 1 Corinthians 6. Because this really challenges the all-star point of view. If, if all that didn't do it, this certainly does. Because you know the Corinthian church, right? They were, they were super holy, weren't they? No. You would, you would say those people aren't even saved, right? Filled with licentious, incest, sexual immorality, divisions, arrogant, prideful. Man, they were, they were amazing. Paul never does really question their salvation, which I find humbling and fascinating. Look at chapter 6. Okay? In chapter 6, they are so worldly that they are taking each other to worldly courts and standing before unbelieving judges to decide their situation. Right? Look what he says in verse 1 and 2, chapter 6. Does any one of you, when he has a case against a neighbor, dare to go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Verse 2. Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? If the world is judged by who? What does it say? You. You. He just said the saints are going to judge. And if you're going to judge, you see... The you is the saints. And this is the Corinthian church. Fascinating. So saints is not some all-star class, upper class of believers. A saint is someone who's a Christian. Truly born again. Truly born again. Truly. Okay? All right. These Corinthians were spiritually mature. They were very sinful. They were prideful. They were filled. They many practiced sexual immoral stuff. Hardly the poster child of personal piety. And yet they're considered saints. Considered saints. If our lifestyle doesn't affect this status of sainthood, then how and when does this happen? I'm glad you asked. This is quite amazing, really. By God's grace is how it happens. Before time began, but also when you were converted. Okay, We will examine this more, this, this, this idea, in the weeks to come. But I want to address it simply enough here to get it into our minds. Go to 1 Corinthians, please. Chap- you're in there, but go back to chapter 1. This is fascinating stuff. Again, remember, our lifestyle does not add nor take away from sainthood, if you will. Therefore, it's all of grace. Chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, look at verse 2. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those, look at the tense of the verbs, please, who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. What's the next phrase? Saints by calling. Okay, saints by calling. This tells you now in verse two how is it they came to be how is it they came to be sanctified? How is it they came to be saints? Is by God's doing. Have been is passive. Okay, and it's perfect in in the Greek tense here. Okay, and grammar matters. Grammar is life. Okay, think about this. A perfect tense means something done in the past with perfect, complete results with ongoing results. Okay? So it's not something that's continually to happen. It was, it was done and secure and fixed and the results of the action continues on. Okay? And it's passive. So it's something that happened to them. Okay? They didn't do anything. It happened to them. And it happened sometime in the past with ongoing results. So that once you are a saint, you are in the state of sainthood. Okay? And it happened to you. This is what he says to the Corinthians. And aren't they glad? 
because they wouldn't have earned it and they certainly would have lost it if they could have. But this is saying, who have been fixed, secured, sanctified in Christ, saints by calling. That's me. That's you. If you're in Christ, you're a sanctified, set-apart saint. All right. Um, go to 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter 1. So when we leave here, we can go out into the world and say, I'm a saint. <laughs> See the response you get. <laughs> and then you can tell them why. <laughs> Look at 1 Peter 1 and 2, actually, 1 and 2. At the end of verse 1, okay, he says, who are chosen according to, my New American Standard says, verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by, notice, the sanctifying, that's that root word, right, comes from holy, sanctifying work of the Spirit. It's the Spirit of God who sets you apart. It's the Spirit of God that sets you apart from the world unto God. Because what in verse 2, look at the goal of being set apart is to obey Jesus Christ, right? That's the goal of being set apart. That's the purpose. So, having been sanctified in Christ, holy by calling, the Holy Spirit is the one here said to, by the work of the Spirit, He sanctifies, He sets us apart. By the way, there's three, three terms used in your New Testament as it refers to sanctified or sanctification. Past, present, future. Okay? Past, you have been sanctified. You're in a state of sainthood, which now puts you in the progress, progressive sanctification. That's present. You're in that process of becoming less sinful and more like Jesus. Okay? Or put it like this more like a saint. <laughs> you are a saint in position when you were converted. That started this process of being sanctified, which then goes to glory when you will be fully sanctified, fully holy in the presence of God. Okay? So you have been, are being, and will be sanctified. Okay? That's New Testament. But when we're talking about saint, we're talking about the past. You have been set aside, sanctified. Okay. Um, Go to 2 Thessalonians 2, please. It's a work of the Spirit, as we saw in Peter. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, probably verse 13, 14. Look at this here. Paul writes to the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians 2, 13. But we should always give thanks to God for you. Then he tells who he's talking about. Brethren, beloved by the Lord, why? God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation. How? Through sanctification. There's our word to be set aside. Sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. Okay? Again, you see the work of the Spirit of God. He sets you apart set you aside for salvation. Our part is faith in the truth. Okay? The Spirit sets you aside. You believe in the truth. Evidence that you have been set aside is this faith in the truth. Because that's why He set you aside. Okay? Alright. Now, go to Ephesians 1, please. Ephesians 1, 3 and 4, this is the verses we're going to look at in the weeks to come. And the, 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 the verses 3 and 4, notice what he writes here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, notice the tense of these verbs again, blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. For he gives on to explain what those are, just as he chose us in him when before the foundation of the world that we would be wholly set aside, blameless before him. Okay? So then, please, 
How and when does this happen, this being a saint? God chose you before the foundation of the world. The Holy Spirit comes in history. When you come in history, the Holy Spirit begins to work on you and sets you apart because God chose you. He sets you apart. He sets you apart for a purpose, for a reason. That was to believe the truth. You were made a saint before time in the mind of God. But in history, when you came and the Spirit set you aside and you believed in Christ, you see, it's awesome. Absolutely awesome. It's all of grace. You did nothing, absolutely nothing. All I brought to the table was my sin. By grace you are a saint. Therefore you did not earn nor can you lose it. Okay? It's a position. It's a status. That's New Testament. If you don't like it, that's too bad. You're against God. That's what he says. This is what God says. And this is for your joy. It takes all the pressure. Now when you live for God, you're not earning merit. You're just, you're just expressing the joy of what he's done in your life and how secure you are. Who's the happiest kid? The one who's got to earn the parents' favor? The one who's safe and secure in the love? Right? Isn't that what it is? That, that, that kid doesn't worry that I'm, I'm counting. That's three. One more and you're out of here. And that kid wants to serve you as a parent. Wants to please you. Is troubled by not wanting, by not pleasing. See, this is grace, you see. Grace. As, as Max is preaching in second, or Titus, you're going to get there in two, right? Or the main theme of that, right? Grace teaches us to live in a certain manner. It's grace that teaches us, not law. It's grace. It's the favor of God, you see. You are a saint by the favor of God. He has done this before time He chose you. He, the Spirit came and set you apart. He, you then heard the gospel truth, and through faith in the truth, you came to be a Christian set apart unto God. See? All right. Um, look at Galatians. Go back to, or to the left, Galatians 1, just as an example. Galatians 1, look at verse 15 and 16. But when God, who set me apart, different word than the hagias, root, but same idea. Okay, Look at what it says in 15. My New American Standard says, But when God, who had set me apart from my mother's womb, that means before he came into existence, he was set apart and called me through his grace. See, that's history. God's party set him apart before he came into the planet. He entered this life. Verse 15, called me through his grace. Acts 9, <laughs> right? To do what? Verse 16, to reveal his son in me. What purpose? So that I might preach him amongst the Gentiles. But you see, God started this before he was born and set him apart. You were set apart before you were born. You see, and the Spirit came and then when you came into life in God's perfect timing, set you aside, the gospel came, you heard, believed, and now you're a Christian. But it's all of grace. You're a saint. By calling. By calling. Oh, mercy. Go to 1 Corinthians, please. 1 Corinthians 3. Moving. Moving. This idea of, 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 of sainthood. And remember how that term was used for different things that were related to God. Like the temple was said to be holy. The city was said to be holy. The utensils were said to be holy. Okay? Us people are said to be holy. Not only because God set us apart... Look at verse 3, uh, 1 Corinthians three sixteen. Look at what it says. Do you not know that you are a, 
What does yours say? Temple. Do you have a root word or a number that takes you to the middle or bottom of your Bible? What is another term? A sanctuary. That comes from our root word, hagios, which means set apart. What is a sanctuary? If this this was our church, that building, right, that room over there would not be an auditorium. It'd be a sanctuary. Why would we call it a sanctuary? Because it's dedicated to God and the use of God and the worship of God. Okay, this is our sanctuary right here. It's just a room, but we've dedicated it unto God's service. So to us, it's a sanctuary. You see, notice 316. Do you not know that you are a sanctuary of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? The spirit who is holy, the spirit who is God, by virtue of that relationship that you have with God, by virtue of his indwelling You, like the temple in Jerusalem was, are holy, a sanctuary, a saint. Okay? Six night, go to six. Look at verse 19. How about 18 and 19 for the sake of context? 618 says it like this. Command, flee immorality. He's talking to the Corinthians. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. What's so important? Verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a what? A temple or probably sanctuary. A sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and that you are not your own. Fascinating. Not only did God choose you before the foundation of the world, that when you were then born and came into history and God's timing in your life, He's the Holy Spirit set you apart to hear the gospel truth. You heard the gospel, responded, He converted you. Now you are set apart from the world, set apart unto God. You are a saint. At that time, the Holy Spirit indwells you. And like the temple in Jerusalem in the Old Testament, which was the presence of God, you are now the presence of God. Therefore, you're a saint. And it's not in any way related to your lifestyle. Good or bad. You're a saint by grace. By calling. Set apart by God for His own possession. 1 Peter 2, 9. Right? Galatians 2, please. Galatians 2. One verse, worth it all. Verse 20. Notice the tenses here. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives presently in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. The Spirit indwells us. The Son of God indwells us. Christ in me. That's what makes you a saint. That's what sets you apart, you see. The Spirit sets you apart. Election sets you apart. The indwelling of God sets you apart. Just as the temple is holy, you are holy. You are now the New Testament temple. You're a saint by calling. All right. Well, go to John 17, please. New Testament. John 17. Told you I had lots of verses. I hope this is edifying. It is to me. It gets me excited. I'm a saint, and I know myself pretty well. (laughs) I'm still a saint because God called me a saint. John 17, high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 18, is it? I want to say 18. Look at this, please. Well, even 17. He says, sanctify them. There's our root word, holy. Okay. Sanctify them or set them apart in the truth, says Jesus, praying to his Father. Your word is truth. 18. As you have sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. These are the first uh, apostles, disciples. For their sakes, verse 19, notice what Jesus did. I sanctify myself. That doesn't mean he made himself morally pure. He's sinless already. He has no sin. 
So it has nothing to do with that, you see. What it does it have to do with is that he sets himself apart from the world that they also may be set apart in him. So by virtue of in Christ, in him, that union. I mean, think of all these things. Election and... Before time chose you for this purpose, the Holy Spirit came and set you apart for the gospel truth you believed and you are you are converted. The Spirit indwells you, the Son indwells you. In addition to all of that, you are in union, spiritual, supernatural. I can't explain it, I just read it. You are in union. It, it's not subjective. You don't feel it. It's a fact. Learn from Scripture. You see, you are in union with Jesus Christ. By virtue of that union, as he is, so is you. He is sanctified, set apart from the world unto God. You, by virtue of that union and his indwelling, are set apart from the world unto God, dedicated unto his service. That's a saint. And it's God's grace. (laughs) Look at verse 21 of... uh, John 17. This then would apply to us because verse 20 says, I don't ask on behalf of these alone, but those also who believe in me through their word. That'd be you and me. Verse 21, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. All that to say, the Holy Trinity, we are in, we are spiritually united to God. One, the work of God. That's what sets us apart. That's, what's, that's why God says, called saint. It's awesome. It's awesome. Go to Romans, please. Romans 6, real quick. Romans 6. First three or four verses here. He says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? If grace is so free, if it doesn't matter how we live, should we just continue sinning then? I mean, that's Romans 6 1. Verse 2 May it never be, God forbid. How shall we who died in sin still live in it? Do you see where he's going? Look at verse 3. Please look at 3. Or do you not know that all of us who have been, look at the tense, baptized, immersed into Christ Jesus, that's a spiritual dry baptism. This is not water baptism. Have been immersed into his death. Verse 4. Therefore, you have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life, by virtue of the union. Paul says, I was crucified with Him. This says, I was buried with Him. This says, I was raised with Him. This says, I'm walking in newness of life in Him. See? All right. Look at verse 5. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, verse 6, that our old self, our old man was, look at this, crucified with him. In order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Do you see the, the basis of a life lived is this union with Jesus Christ. And that union is what sets you apart from the world, from sin, unto God, dedicated unto His service. That's a saint. You're, you're like the utensils in the temple that were used to manipulate the sacrifices on the altar. They are said to be holy. You don't go dig a common ditch with it. You do holy things. You do godly things. You're a saint in Christ. Now, although, as we said, this took place in the mind of God, where He chose you before the foundation of the world for this purpose, 
On your behalf, He did this before time. And it became applied to you in His timing. When you heard the gospel, you repented and trusted in His Son. Okay? All right. Acts 26.18 says we were sanctified by faith in Him. Sanctified by faith in Him. Think of Ephesians 1, and we won't look at it this morning or today. Numerous, over ten times, in Christ, in Him. All of those blessings. That's what sets us apart. That's what makes us saints. Okay? Go back to Ephesians real quick. Please. Ephesians 1, sorry. So we are saints by calling. It's all of grace. It's not merited. It's not lost. It's all of His doing, His good pleasure. Okay. Notice what else He says in verse 1. Saints who are at Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Faithful in Christ Jesus. Faithful can also be translated loyal or steadfast. Obviously, then, to be faithful is to be loyal, is to be steadfast, okay? These are steadfast believers in Christ. They follow Him and no other. They're loyal to the Lord Jesus Christ. They're united to Him, okay? They, they are not duplistic and they're not syncretistic. They have one Lord, Jesus Christ, faithful to Him in the sense that they have one God they worship, They were delivered out of polytheism. They were delivered out of paganism. And they were brought to Christ, set apart for Him. Okay? So Paul is saying, I'm writing to those whom God's grace has set apart from this world who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who I'm writing this to. Is that true of you? Are you a saint? And when you give an affirmation, you should be be rejoicing from the bottom of your soul that I belong in the book of Ephesians, right? I was chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. In love, predestined to be adopted as His Son. It's all of grace. It's all of grace. Glorious. Now, if He says this about those in Ephesus, I want you to turn to Acts 19. This is where we'll close. Acts 19. I just want you to see, you probably have forgotten maybe, who these people were in Ephesus. Right? Ephesus is modern day Turkey, Asia Minor. Ephesus is on the west coast across the Aegean Sea from Athens, Corinth, the Greek culture. So Ephesus is a major city in that region. Over 200,000 people were said to be there. The seventh wonder of the ancient world was there. The temple to Diana, the temple to Artemis. And all and a lot of crossroads from the east and the north and south and west came there. And so there's multiple religious ideas. Witchcraft, magic, idolatry, worship. The silversmiths were so upset with Paul, they started a riot because through the gospel, people were no longer buying silver idols from the silversmiths and they were losing money. Isn't that great? Man, talk about revival. Talk about transforming a culture. For three years, Paul preached there and taught there, went house to house teaching the gospel. Okay, Now, if you go to Acts 19, I just want to pick chunks from this to set in our mind how it was. And I want you to see that these are, this is like the pool from which the Lord has saints. Okay? Should be very encouraging. Acts 19, verse 8 through 10. And he entered, Paul, the synagogue, continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way, the way is the the gospel way, before the people, he withdrew from them and took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. Verse 10, this took place for two years, so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Okay? So that's from the synagogue. 
people getting saved. Persecution rose up there in opposition and they left with the school of Tyrannus. He taught them for two years. The gospel spread all over that region. Look at verse 11. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that, verse 12, that handkerchiefs and aprons were even being carried from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out. Right? Wouldn't that have been so cool? There's Jewish exorcists in 13 and 14. I want to skip down for the sake of time down to verse, uh, how about 17, after it was heard that demons overpowered these exorcists. In verse 17, this became known to all, both Jews and Greeks who lived in Ephesus, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Verse 18, many also of those who had believed kept coming, notice please, confessing and disclosing their practices, repentance. Verse 19, many of those who practiced magic brought their books together, began burning them, praise the Lord, in the sight of everyone, and found, and it counted up to the price of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. And all the studying I could do, that was 50,000 days accumulation, labor, costs. 50,000, I mean, that was an extraordinary amount of money. Right? Extraordinary amount of money. And they burn these books in repentance. Confession that they are no longer followers of this, but were followers of Jesus. Faithful in Christ, saints by calling. Okay? Look at verse 20, summation. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. Okay? This is when the church began in the early mid-50s. Paul's writing in 61 or 2, isn't it? Somewhere like that. Um, so it's like a, like a seven-year gap from the beginning of that church to the writing of the letter of Ephesus. And so from this pool here are saints faithful in Christ Jesus. Okay, These are idle Followers, idol worshippers, idol makers, black magic practicers, black magic incantations, and all that demonic stuff. Those go to Ephesians two, and that's my last section. I promise. Ephesians two. The this is why Paul can say this, right? These people in Ephesus were under the shroud and the sway of the evil one. They were they were in, in captured, enslaved to to the kingdom of darkness. They they were blinded. They were spiritually dead and spiritually blind. Ephesians 2, look at verse 1 through 4, maybe 5. He says here, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, Ephesians, in which you formerly walked according to the course... Look at the demonic influence in verse 2. According to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Verse 3. Among them we, Paul included, all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Verse 4. Ah, but God being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us. Verse 5, even when we were dead, even when we were dead in our transgressions, what did He do? He made us alive together with Christ, united with Christ. And look at how He, he in the parentheses in verse 5, by grace you have been saved. Stop there. Paul writes to the saints and they're Declared saints by grace, chosen by the Father before foundation of the world. The Holy Spirit came, set them apart. They heard the gospel. They had faith in Jesus Christ, set apart. The Spirit came and indwelt them. The triune God came and indwelt them. Christ indwelt them. The Spirit indwelt them. They then are now in spiritual union with the resurrected Christ. They are set apart from this world and set apart unto God. That's what it means to be a holy one. And it's all of grace, beloved. 
it's not a, it's not all-star Christianity. It's not those who perform miracles and somehow in super acts of piety and now are in heaven. You are a saint the moment you were converted to Jesus Christ. No matter how you act today, you're a saint if you are in Christ Jesus. Amen? So verse 6 we can say, to the praise of the glory of His grace. To the praise of the glory of His grace. And I don't know about you, but that makes me happy. (laughs) That makes me happy. So be thankful, praise His grace in His name, and live like a saint, beloved. Let's pray. Yeah? Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank You for Your grace. Continue to do a work in us, Lord. May our lives be lived in a manner worthy of the calling. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.